This is the business of sports. The International Olympic Committee is facing a crisis. Which sport would you point to and say, put your money here? Where the money is flowing inside sports around the globe. As NASCAR's business engine lost some horsepower. Now I'm paying 5 or 10% what I used to pay to buy the whole team. Michael Barr. Nothing like a cheap hot dog, which is what you should get. Scott Soshnick. How do you put your brand outside of the United States? How do you capture fans around the world? Bloomberg Business sports on Bloomberg Radio. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports. And we will talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. Today, we speak with former NBA Commissioner David Stern, who's advising several companies on Wall Street. I guess if you've been a CEO for 30 years, you may have a little something to offer. Uh, And I'm also a senior advisor to the NBA when called upon to be helpful. But first, let's talk about the top three business sports stories of the week. For the first time in his career, Sergio Garcia wins a major. He captures the green jacket with a sudden-death victory over Justin Rose at the Masters. Garcia talked about the win when he visited Bloomberg World Headquarters in New York. A part of me feels like, yeah, I've done it. I'm I'm so proud, and not only for myself, but for for all my people that uh, that has been uh, with me uh, for so many years, and you know, my fiance and, and everyone around. But I'm not leaning back and saying I can relax now because uh, I don't want it to stop here. I wanted to um, I wanted to keep going. Uh, for me, this is just the beginning. It's uh, it's an amazing experience and an amazing feeling. But uh, I feel like I can still improve. But for all the amazing golf and the feelings and the drama, Michael. That did not exactly help the ratings, down 11% from the year before. And you had a sudden-death playoff, and it was in one hole where this sudden-death had taken place. You would think that the ratings would shoot up, but it didn't. Not exactly no-name players either. I mean, Sergio Garcia, there's a good story there. The guy is in contention frequently. He's probably the best golfer never to have won the major. That's the tag. Justin Rose, people know him. Do you need Jordan Spieth? Do you need Ricky Fowler? Do you need Dustin Johnson? What does golf need to attract that core fan? Sergio Garcia, the Spaniard connection. He talked about Seve Ballesteros and and that connection there. It's hard to understand why the ratings didn't go. You have to question. Remember, it's 20 years ago Tiger Woods won the Masters. People think Tiger, all right, he hasn't won. He's not playing. There's Tiger fatigue. Is there a Tiger fatigue? But let's face it, Tiger's on the leaderboard. People are watching golf. Also, our second story we're highlighting this week. Scott, this should come as no surprise, especially to those of you who listened to our premiere show last week. The Yankees are the world's most valuable baseball team, according to Forbes magazine. Here is Yankees president Randy Levine from last week's show. We've been forever the the largest revenue uh, generating team in in Major League Baseball. And the great part about the Yankees, I always say, is you know a lot of people who love us and a lot of people who hate us, but a lot of people are thinking about us all the time. Used to laugh when Howard Stern would say, love me or hate me, people are listening to me. Viewers mean dollars. Listeners mean dollars. People care about the Yankees. It was like I was saying last week, I'm a native Detroiter. So, yes, I love the Detroit Tigers, but when the Yankees would come into town as a little boy, you knew they were the New York Yankees. And back then, they were still trying to to climb up, but you knew that they had that presence there. you got to give it to the Yankees, number one. And I think the Dodgers are two. Yeah, Dodgers are two, Red Sox, Cubs, Giants. And you hear again about fatigue whenever ESPN puts Yankees and Red Sox 
on Sunday night baseball. The rest of the country is like, why again the Yankees and the Red Sox? It's all they pay attention to. Yankees-Red Sox rivalry is the best thing happening for the business of baseball. Other people will, will tune in. They're the best of friends when it comes into the boardrooms because it makes money for both franchises. According to Forbes, the Yankees are valued at $3.7 billion. That is up 9%. The Dodgers at $2.75 billion. And the Red Sox at $2.7. They're in third, up 17%. The Cubs, $2.7 billion, up 22%. The San Francisco Giants at 2.65. Now at the bottom of the list, oh my, we are looking at the Miami Marlins at $940 million at 25, and the lowest, the Rays at $825 million. Now remember, Michael, these are just estimations of valuations. We're going to find out, because there's the adage, what is something worth? What somebody is willing to pay for it. We're going to find out pretty soon what somebody is willing to pay for the Miami Marlins. The Kushner family was in That's talks right. for the Marlins. The ask, the reported ask, was $1.6 billion. This valuation comes in at under a billion. Let's see what the remaining bidders. One, a former New York Yankee, Derek Jeter, he's in the mix. Let's see what these groups are willing to pay for the Marlins. And finally, will it be Los Angeles or will it be Paris for the Olympics? They're both bidding and they're both bidding heavily, Scott. Yeah, but they both want 2024. The IOC would like to award 2024 to one of the cities and 2028 to the other. Paris has made it clear they're not interested in 2028. L.A. is focused right now on 2024. They haven't said whether they would drop out. Tough spot for the IOC. They need to manage these two cities and keep them happy because what has been happening in the bid process? Cities are dropping out. These are the only two they got. The Olympics used to be a race among many cities. This is it. Well, I think a lot of cities realized, hey, when you put on the Olympics, a lot of times, they wind up in the hole. I mean, look at several of them. Uh, take a look, for example, what has happened uh, in Asia and, and some of the Olympics, uh, the recent uh, Olympics. Just look in Brazil. Exactly. Have, exactly. have you seen the venues? They're dilapidated, crumbling. They're not being used for anything. Big money infrastructure spending on these facilities that aren't being used anymore. They just had them, too. Yeah. My goodness. Still ahead on Bloomberg Business of Sports, we'll bring you our conversation with former NBA Commissioner David Stern talks about the global brand of basketball. So when the NBA is shown in 200 and some odd countries and 40 some odd languages, that's a big cultural export and it's not without its benefits financially to the NBA. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world. This is the Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio with Scott Soshnick and Michael Barr. Each week on the show, we will talk with the movers and shakers in the sports world. This week, it's David Stern, the former commissioner of the NBA. Welcome, David. It's great to be with you guys today. David, of course, I know what you're doing post-NBA work, but for our listeners who might not follow the career so closely, why don't you tell us what are you doing these days? Well, I'm doing uh, a little bit of uh, everything. I'm uh, a uh, senior advisor to... PJT Partners, which is a advisory-focused investment bank, headed up by Paul Taubman, the former co-president of Morgan Stanley. I'm a senior advisor to the uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers um, Technology 
media and telecommunications strategy practice, and I'm a senior advisor to Graycroft Partners, which is a venture capital firm making mostly early stage investments. And as a result of that, I'm advising and have invested in a number of sports technology-related enterprises. But they also wanted your input, if I'm correct, not only on sports-related companies, but they wanted you to advise on many things, not just Well, I guess if you've been a CEO for 30 years, you may have a little something to offer. Uh, And I'm also a senior advisor to the NBA when called upon to be helpful. What do you look for in these companies? What do you look for in management? I'm actually learning. Uh, I'm more, my card says uh, intern at Greycroft Partners uh, because invariably in a startup, you're going to find somebody who's focused on the mission, on the product, on the development of that. Uh, At that stage, their marketing and management demands are not intense. And usually that's a good thing because you wouldn't find them there. But then when they grow into more mature companies or somewhat more mature, then you're looking to make sure you've got a CEO who can manage growth and a a revenue officer who can manage revenues and an infrastructure that can bloom into something. And what I've been doing at the request of a number of these companies is talk about my experience with a startup. Because when I joined the NBA, I was the 24th employee. That qualifies as a startup. And how you grow from just being mission-focused to being managed and uh, going from entrepreneurial to, uh, to a much more structured enterprise. So it's, you look for a lot of different things, and it depends upon the individual company and the stage of its development. But it's an enormous amount of fun, and I start out really as a novice, so I'm enjoying learning more and more and, 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 and being acclimated into a process that is full of acronyms that I had no idea what they, what they stood for, but I'm learning slowly. How would you describe to the kid on the New York City playground who whips out his iPhone these days and can check any stat, any score, watch the game live, that when you were the commissioner, that the games in the finals weren't even on live TV, they weren't tape delay? What I would start with is that this thing called the Internet didn't exist. And this satellite delivery of sports didn't exist. And that cable... Uh, just started carrying NBA games in the late 70s. So the entire infrastructure that exists today wasn't there. In the late 70s, if we wanted to get on live TV during the finals, we scheduled our games back-to-back on Saturday and Sunday so they could be on Saturday afternoon and Sunday afternoon. But if they were on during the week, they were taped delayed in the East. So the I guess the sixth game of that famed um, Magic Johnson-led Laker uh, defeat of the 76ers with Dr. J in 1980, hmm, I'm going to say, was uh, you had to watch it 1130 at night in New York, taped delayed. What's amazing to me is that you were the commissioner from 1984 to 2014, 30 solid years. In 84, as you were talking about earlier, the game was dynamic then. 
and now, what has changed about the game today outside of what you just mentioned? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think that you know, I'm a I'm a protector of the history, and I think that you've got to you know when you talk about Michael or LeBron or what have you, let's not forget Bill Russell and all of his rings. Let's not forget Jerry West and Oscar Robertson. You know, Oscar's now in the news only as a result of the fact that Westbrook uh, has averaged a triple-double. And think about that with respect to Oscar. So we always had great players. I think the demands on the players now in terms of pushing their bodies, and it may be that they jump higher and run faster, uh, but there were always great players. Uh, where before Michael, there was Dr. J and Magic and Larry and Kareem and Elgin Baylor. I mean, we, we uh, at the NBA, the one thing that was certain is that there were great players coming out of the colleges. But now they're not just coming out of the colleges. This past year, I think over 100 players on NBA rosters were born outside the continental United States. That's pretty extraordinary in terms of the talent pool. If you have 100 players, you're talking about the, the addition of, you know, depending on how you define a roster, it's another seven teams uh, full of NBA-caliber players. So the talent uh, availability is extraordinary, and it comes from all over the world, and it's going to get actually even richer in terms of a talent pool as the NBA's efforts and other efforts continue in India and China, Latin America and Europe. It's in Africa. You're going to see an entirely, uh, you know, hopped up, so to speak, enriched pool of great players. That's the next step for the NBA, taking it overseas and having it dominate overseas. Well, I don't know if it has to dominate. It's just it helps grow the game. I think the NBA is... Uh, just making sure that they're when you when you think about the population of I, I guess Africa, India, and China, you're talking about over three billion people that have not uh, been you know exposed the way they're going to be to basketball, and that's uh, very exciting it, from a talent perspective. It's also exciting from a commerce perspective, uh, but and it's also good for building the NBA brand on a global basis. Coming up, we continue our conversation with David Stern. The former NBA commissioner talks about the role of the Internet in the future of transmitting basketball games. These giants, these money-laden giants, are just awakening to the promise of sports, and they're going to awaken on a global basis. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world. This is the Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio with Scott Soshnick and Michael Bond. Thanks for joining us. Each week we explore the big business of money and sports. And we speak to some of the biggest names in the sports industry. We now continue our conversation with former NBA Commissioner David Stern. And David, importing players from around the world, exporting content, exporting merchandise, this has well, grown into a global business. It's interesting. I think that uh, motion pictures, television products, uh, are the most important cultural export that we have, and that includes sports. 
So when the NBA is shown in 200 and some odd countries and 40 some odd languages, that's a big cultural export and it's not without its benefits financially to the NBA. And that is true whether you're talking about television or you're talking about video games or you're talking about merchandise. Uh, it's really, you know, or backboards and basketballs. It covers a, a wide array of, uh, of uh, hard and soft goods. And I think the NBA is poised for that. And the NBA is poised for the uh, dealing with the explosion in uh, social media. So the digital world uh, and globalization have and promise to continue to be very kind to the NBA. We are chatting with former NBA Commissioner David Stern. And David, you were known as Digital Dave long ago because you exported the game and you understood the scalable media. How important is a guy like Yao? How important is it to develop a star from outside the U.S. in terms of generating not only fans for the league, but customers for the content. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've, it certainly is a, a very important in, in inflection point to have a great player from a country, whether it's Dirk Nowitzki in Germany or Tony Parker in France or Manu Ginobili in Argentina, etc. But, uh, and Yao was certainly because China historically was a closed society to the U.S., Yao was a very, very important breakthrough. Um, but you just have to keep on, keep on <laughs> development. You know, someday there'll be such a great player from India, then there'll be another Yao from China. Uh, because I've always uh, made the or urge the proposition that it can't be that Yao is the only great player ever to emerge from China, a nation of a billion four people. It's not not possible. And that's, I think, why the NBA is wisely embarking on a program of, um, of different academies in Asia, in Africa, in China. It's, I think that's going to, it's a long-term development plan, but I think it's going to be very successful. Once the talent pool expands, do you think we'll see the NBA expand the number of teams in the association? That's a good question. Uh, I just don't know because it, uh, it's, it's, I just don't know what the optimum number is, uh, of teams in a professional sports league. The, uh, the U.S. leagues have settled in of anywhere from 30 to 32, and I think that's uh, that's a working number. And given the infusion of uh, uh, money that is coming to the leagues and their operations, uh, you know, I think an expansion franchise would be very, very costly because of the the template, at least historically has been to share revenue with any new team, which necessarily is larger now than in the past and drives up the price that would have to be charged for the franchise. David, you sit, obviously, in those meetings with the owners. In the old days, they didn't pay quite as much for the franchise as, let's say, Steve Ballmer forking over $2 billion. What do they expect? What do they want in terms of asset valuation? What do they need to occur? 
Well, from a business perspective, um, you know, I, 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 the, the wise guy answer is all they want to do is win. Scott, you know that. But if and you make wanna, a few bucks. And, right, right. <laughs> I think they would like to have a return on their investment, which is, uh, which is a operating cash flow from the business itself and B, appreciation in the asset. And given the great job that Commissioner Silver is doing, I think there all those are possible, and most teams are poised to get there. They need to they need a a good building. They need a great sales team. They need you know an intelligent management in terms of player acquisition, and they have to not only fill the building, but they have to fill up sponsorships, make local TV arrangements, and the like. And I think that's within the reach of all 30 NBA teams. Still ahead on Bloomberg Business of Sports, David Stern talks about the controversy, the NBA stars sitting out games. You are listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports Worldwide. This is the Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio with Scott Soshnick and Michael Barr. Thanks for joining us. Each week we explore the big business of money and sports. Let's continue our conversation with former NBA Commissioner David Stern. And David, we're now seeing ads coming to NBA jerseys. You were against that as your tenure uh, ran on. What do you think of that now? If you're an observer of the global scene, there's nothing new about ads on jerseys. Sometimes you can't even tell what the name of the team is if you look at the English Premier League, which may be the most successful league in the world. The WNBA has been had ads on their uniforms for quite some time. And the, um, you know, and, and I think that the uh, modest patch that the NBA is now experimenting with is going to be barely noticeable by the time, you know, we're through and next season comes around. Because if you look at the NBA arenas with the, pole wraps and the vomitorium signage and the courtside signage. Uh, just about everything has been sold, uh, and now the uniform is joining the parade. David, what is your take on the future of media in that you know the customer wants it, how they want it, where they want it, when they want it? Amazon is now paying $50 million for the streaming rights to the NFL the struggles of ESPN and losing subscribers has been much talked about, but are you of the belief that where one might struggle is an opportunity for somebody else, that there will always be a handful of bidders for these rights that seem to be impervious yeah. to recession or, uh, or, or pricing pressure? Right. I think you've, the seeds of the answer to that question are within the question itself. I think that Time Warner and Disney and Fox and CBS, they understood the threat that was posed by the, uh, shall we say, the fangs that are somewhere, F-A-N-G, you know, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. Uh, throw in Apple, throw in Microsoft, and you're talking about uh, large 
really large pools of money that have come late to understanding how valuable sports content is. And that's why, if you look at the landscape, you see that with all of the talk about ESPN, etc., which is a, a wonderful company whose problems I would very much like to have, or I'd like to advise companies that have that problem, uh, is doing quite well. Uh, and and they and and all of the networks signed up their sports deals for long periods of time. <clears throat> you can look at the. Uh, Amazon deal with the NFL is just a small data point on how anxious these companies are going to be to get first-class content. But the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, Hockey, MLS, uh, and the NCAA tournament and the college bowls games and the like are all tied up for relatively long periods of time. So I think, so you wind up with Amazon replacing Twitter for an NFL streaming event on Thursday night. Uh, you see Facebook has, uh, I think I saw they have the National Lacrosse League. They have some NBA Development League games. They have some practices from the Golden State Warriors. These giants, these money-laden giants are just awakening to the promise of sports. And they're going to awaken on a global basis because they're, they're all looking at the media markets that are growing at much faster rates outside the United States than within. So that's a long way of saying that looking at it from a rights holder's perspective, the party is far from over. There's at least one more solid round of well-heeled suitors getting ready to come into the marketplace that have been put off for a period of time by the incumbents by entering into long-term deals. Beyond that, I think that when you watch NBC, which is going to have the Olympics, and you uh, and you see that they make a you know a made another deal with Snapchat stories to augment Olympic coverage, uh, you're going to see you know other interest, whether it's Facebook or Snapchat or uh, Instagram or YouTube, you're going to see others that are going to be much more interested in, in what's going on as well. So the future is bright for the holders of, of uh, sports content. Yeah, perhaps not those who have to pay for it. No, 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 no. The future is, you know, in a market where there's a buyer and a seller, it doesn't make sense for a seller to complain that he had to pay too much because the, no one forced him to pay that amount. That's a negotiated uh, price between a buyer and a seller, both of which are educated. Do you like Disney's position? Your name was always mentioned as a possible replacement for Bob Iger. Do you yeah. like Disney's position right now with these, like you said, these sleeping giants on their heels? They do have the rights to the major well, events right now. But yeah, but remember, Disney is this great company that has enormous strength in its theme parks, which it has updated continually and which it is uh, growing globally with respect to its new Shanghai park to go with its 
Tokyo Park to go with its Paris Park, and I understand that they're doing great. And Disney has understood that sports isn't the only valuable franchises. The franchises of Star Wars and Marvel and... Uh, I'm leaving one out. They, they, you know, they they bought Pixar, so they have these uh, three tentpole franchises that our people flock to theaters to see them, and so, and so ESPN and sports is just another one of the tentpoles that the Walt Disney Company has to assure that they continue. And I think that ESPN actually, when it finally becomes a little easier to access uh, content on the Internet with this whole issue of authentication, etc., Disney's uh, digital reach will be fully understood through ESPN Watch ESPN, ESPN three, etc., and uh, and and it's really a pleasure. If you're a tennis fan, particularly, you can, you know, go to watch ESPN, and you not only can watch the court number one on ESPN two or ESPN, you can watch court numbers two through twelve digitally through their other. Uh, you know, c- courts and their and their processes, and what's going to happen is there's going to be a convergence. Everything that you can see on your iPhone, you can see on your TV, and vice versa. And so, a lot of people are still going to desire the large screen experience, and a lot of others are going to say, "I want it when I want it," and they're going to want it on their iPhone or their iPad. I shouldn't say iPhone. I should say their smart device, yes, so that I don't exclude Samsung and or you know or, or many others who are distributing those devices. Well, speaking of Samsung and things that are on fire, how about Steph Curry? Who makes the phone call? Is it Bob Iger? Is it John Skipper? When on a Wednesday night, where ESPN pays a lot of money for exclusivity, the stars are sitting out the games. Michael, I know you want to see those stars. Yes, yes, especially Steph Curry. Now, Russell Westbrook, he just hit the record, and then he has rested going into the playoffs. So It's a fascinating issue, and I'm sure the owners and Commissioner Silver will figure out some way to deal with it. I just, uh, just to show you, as I've thought about it, uh, I have, I know some people, for example, that are coming into New York to go to a Wednesday matinee of Hello Dolly, which is featuring Bette Midler. Now, I'm sure there are Wednesdays when Bette Midler is saying to herself, boy, with a show to do tonight, do I really want to do this matinee? <laughs> but what do you think she does? Sounds to me like you're saying, get out and play, fellas. These are the folks well, who pay the Well, I, I, but I understand the issues. And it is interesting to note that most of the rest comes on the road. Yeah, where only where the fans get to see that player maybe once. That's the Sometimes. one trip to the so, so it's a it's a it's a very serious problem. I think that Commissioner Silva has zeroed in on it and he's doing what has to be done with a dialogue with the players and the union and the ownership and the coaches and also they're making changes to the schedule because they're going to start the season earlier um, and so or perhaps eliminate some exhibition games it's everyone wants to see the problem solved I it's always fun when you're in the presence of players who've played 20 years ago 
to hear the difference of views about the, uh, uh, you know, about playing or resting. David, thank you for joining us. That's the former commissioner of the NBA, David Stern, joining us on Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soschnick. Please tune in next week when we speak with attorney Jeff Kessler, whose clients include every major sports league, and you might have heard of his Deflategate case with Tom Brady. This is the Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio.